right. Well, should we get going? Yeah, might as well. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about Season 9, Episode 10, The Strike. But before that, what's the deal with stuff from our last episode, The Apology. First of all, what is Fizohex? It is what Putty said he would run for if he was still the same guy he was 10 years ago as a germaphobe. Fizohex was an antibacterial skin cleanser, a commercial preparation of hexachlorophrine, a compound once <laughs> widely used as a disinfectant. It's useful as a topical anti-infective antibacterial agent, and it was often found in soaps and toothpaste. In 1972, so what, 15 years, uh, 25 years, I mean, before this joke was told, the FDA halted production and distribution of products containing more than 1% of hexachlorophrine. Ever, and ever since 72, you could only get them with a doctor's prescription. The restrictions were enacted after 15 deaths in the U.S. and 39 deaths in France were reported following brain damage caused by hexachlorophrine. Oh so Putty God. must have had a just a standing prescription for Fizohex <laughs> uh, at that time. <laughs> In 1987, I guess. Uh, several companies manufactured over-the-counter preps, which utilized uh, hexachlorophrine in their formulations. One product, Baby Magic Bath, was recalled in 1971 and removed from retail distribution. So a year before, <laughs> it was pulled from the market from FDA. I just love that something super poisonous and harmful and that could cause brain damage was called Baby <laughs> Magic Bath. That's like a <laughs> Simpsons joke. That's like a Simpsons IRL <laughs> joke. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, oh, don't touch that baby magic bath. It's highly poisonous. <laughs> During the 1960s, Fizoderm and Fizohex both were available over the counter in the U.S. After the ban, Fizoderm was reformulated without the offending compound and continued to be sold over the counter, while Fizohex, which contained 3% hexachlorophrine, three times the legal limit, became available as a prescription body wash. And uh, <laughs> so not only is it lethal in small doses when you're making hexachlorophrine if the, if the reaction occurs without adequate cooling tcdd is produced in a in significant quantities as a byproduct and contaminant the Seveso disaster in italy and the times beach missouri contamination incident uh, where a town in missouri was completely evacuated in 1983 exemplify the Jesus. industrial hazards of hexachlorophrine <laughs> production yeah so there have been two huge man-made disasters producing the compound that Fizohex, where where Fizohex gets its name from. <laughs> so just, an, I, I never knew, uh, I never knew that's what Fizohex was. Maybe, maybe that's why Putty is so dumb. It causes brain damage. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. Wow. We just went deep. <laughs> that's canon now. That's canon now. I like think it's gotta parents, be, yeah. His parents bathed him in baby magic bath. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then he continued to use Fizohex well into his late 30s or whatever he's supposed to be. <laughs> what about Minuteman Mint? A kid runs into the Baskin-Robbins where Jason Hankey works and asks if he can get a triple Minuteman Mint in a cone. And Minuteman Mint was an actual flavor that Baskin-Robbins made in 1976. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, just our, our second reference from the 70s. This uh, just this homework uh, in 1976. Baskin Roberts came. Uh, Baskin Robbins came out with several flavors made for the U.S. bicentennial celebration, including <sighs> Yankee Doodle Strudel, Valley Forge Fudge, Concord Grape, and Minuteman Mint. What does Concord Grape have to do with anything? Um, it's it has an E on the end. Didn't something happen at 
at Concord, some battle or something. Concord is important, as as a lot of New England is, I guess, <laughs> to the um, to the revolutionary. Yeah, War to the revolution. Concord, U.S. Revolution, battles of Lexington and Concord. There you go. The first military engagements of the American Revolutionary War. How about that? Oh, okay. Now we. Well, then why didn't they have like a Lexington lemon? Maybe they did. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I might have an incomplete list here. <laughs> I like that. They 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 do have thirty one flavors. Maybe they maybe they didn't quite have thirty one flavors yet. Yeah. Who knows? Who's to say? Yeah, I never got that because you'd go in and and I feel like there wasn't I feel like thirty one was high. I feel like sometimes you'd go into a Baskin Robbins and they'd have like twenty <laughs> flavors. Like, all right, what's what's if going that. on here? Oh yeah. Yeah. They'd have like two and, coolers any... of you know, ten each. <laughs> exactly, yeah. If yeah. that, maybe they just have the one cooler. Yeah, yeah. Right. Just like in the in the in the one we saw, the fake set. Yeah. But still, very realistic. Uh, what about that kid who asked for Minuteman Mint? Was that DJ from Roseanne? Yes, it was Michael hey. Fishman. And believe it or not, the kid has a name, Greg, with two G's. I don't think those kids ever say their names, <laughs> but I believe. But I, I don't even know if the other kid has a name. But it says Michael Fishman as Greg, and I was like, okay, I guess he was Greg. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> Um, and Roseanne ended in May of 1997, so this was kind of the first thing he did post-Roseanne. That's so weird that they relegated him to just extra duty. Yeah, featured extra. <laughs> in a scene that like, already I, had I, I, a guest star. <laughs> yeah, I want to know if, I want to know if, like, he had to, like, hang out with all the other extras on set, <laughs> or if they were like... Look, you're an extra, but look, if you if you don't tell anybody, you can hang out in this trailer. <laughs> yeah, they made him go to the corral with the other extras, uh, and maybe it was some. Maybe I wonder if it was like a SAG uh, thing. I almost said SAG after, but of course, at the time it was just SAG. I wonder if it was a SAG thing where his character had to have a name, like he couldn't just be kid in ice cream shop. Oh man, maybe <laughs> yeah. But I know that it's funny because I I was just reminded that Roseanne and Seinfeld had kind of a feud between the casts when one, I think like Julia Louis-Dreyfus parked in Roseanne's spot or something like that. Hang on, I found the article here. <laughs> oh no, it was Tom Arnold. God, don't you hate these like clickbait articles that like just go for length and like Seinfeld ran from night da 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 and, and these people oh, were in God, it. And, like, yeah. So they need, to, they need to make sure you see all of the ads on the page. Yes, exactly. So reportedly, the cast of Roseanne had a long-standing feud with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, beginning with an incident when she accidentally parked in Tom Arnold's parking spot. The two sitcoms were filmed at the same studio, and when Arnold found that Julia Louis-Dreyfus was in his spot, he left a strongly worded note suggesting in no uncertain terms that Julia should move her car. Uh, she told Larry David and Jason Alexander they confronted Tom Arnold, but while he, he reportedly considered the matter closed, Roseanne Barr was very upset and launched a campaign against Julia that included calling her out on a late night television show, writing the C word and soap on her windshield, and even referencing her negatively in a fax to Variety magazine. So, Jesus Christ. Yeah. But then they hired Fish Michael Fishman, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't expect to see Roseanne pop up before yeah. the end of the ninth season, but uh, I, I, feel like, I feel like her son is fair game. Yeah, yeah. It's nice that they didn't hold a feud against the entire... <laughs> cast of Roseanne just just Roseanne herself it seems like <laughs> but so in addition to this um along the other big thing he did after Roseanne ended was playing Mike Holiday in Little Bigfoot 2 The Journey Home <laughs> oh my god which doesn't even have a wikipedia page <laughs> wow he literally went from being on a fucking 
I, would you call Roseanne a sitcom? Is it just like a family dramedy? I guess I don't know. I, I yeah, never they definitely. Roseanne. It was funny. You know, it was one of those things that was funny, really funny in the first couple seasons, and then they really sort of leaned on the drama that you know came with being that kind of lower middle yeah. class, you know, upper lower class yeah. family. Well, yeah, he he literally went from featuring on this for however many seasons it ran to just moving to L.A. Like that level of like just starting out acting, you know. Well, yeah. I graduated college. I'm going to move to LA and I'm going to make something of myself. Gets one extra role on Seinfeld. <laughs> gets a role in a movie that doesn't even have a Wikipedia entry. Yeah, a movie forgotten to time. Except, Jesus. Yeah, except as a great who, piece of text. Who was his agent at this time? Yeah. Because they should not be representing anybody. And honestly, I don't even know what else he did. I mean, I, I looked through his Wikipedia page, and it was very sparse. You know, I mean, there was also some other featured bits here and there, but the next thing he did was the Roseanne reboot into the Connors. Holy shit. I know. Ugh. Yeah. Poor Michael Fishman. Maybe he made enough during Roseanne, and he was a child star, that maybe he's one of these child stars that his parents, like, didn't steal all of his money, and so he was just able to live and... <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. The yeah. rare case. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm going to go with, though, that he just lived happily his entire life like um, like Macaulay Culkin, just not needing to do anything. Certainly not Home Alone and Home yeah. Alone 2 money, but <laughs> somehow Macaulay Culkin, I remember, was able to wrestle his fortune away from his parents. And, and he's just like, he's got a place in Paris, a place in New York. He paints. He hangs out with friends. He creates yeah. dumb cover band. Like, he's living the life. Yeah, now he's ma- I, married, I think. Maybe just engaged to Brenda Song from Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Wow. And I well, think they... Do they have a kid? They might have a kid. I think you're right. And don't forget the first... Uh, before that, he was with, for a very long time, Mila Kunis, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if you if you peak... people, It sounds like a bad thing. Like, oh, that guy peaked in elementary school. But you can live a pretty <laughs> kick-ass life if you... If you peak in elementary school, like uh, that, so that's that's my Michael Fishman story. Not not that um you know he was he was homeless and uh in, yeah. in L A. That he he made a lot Definitely. of money on Roseanne. Yeah, I want to say that he was on something like Best Week Ever, or or maybe maybe like an I Love the Eighties or I Love yeah. the Nineties or something like that. That sounds accurate. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and he also he's one of those child actors like grew up. And looks exactly like he do- did when he was a kid, which is funny. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're, you're like, just a grown-up version of that every, kid. Yeah, it's what every child actor wants, you know? that they, they want to be, like, adorable all of their life. Yeah, that's one road where he diverged from Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and believe it or not, that's all of the homework that we had. Just, uh, yeah. Wow. Fiza Hex, oh Minuteman Mint, and DJ from Roseanne. But uh, there Jeez. are, of course, some other trivia and tidbits from the episode. James Spader was invited to play the role of Jason Hankey by Jerry Seinfeld, who apparently was a friend of James Spader's. So that's why he kind of oddly popped up. Uh, most scenes were filmed in front of a live studio audience on November 12th. But the scenes in which Melissa is nude were filmed without an audience on November 10th. And they did this, you know, just to be nice to the actress, courtesy discretion. But uh, <laughs> Kathleen McClellan was... She wasn't actually naked at any time during any of the filming. Oh, okay, okay. I was thinking, I'm yeah, like, because yeah. I, I heard you say they, they, they didn't have an audience for the, for the naked filming scenes. I'm like, why? Was she actually yeah. naked? Okay, okay, that makes, makes a little My more guess sense is if it's that just for, 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 for her comfort. She probably had, yeah, like modesty stuff on, but she did have to be mostly naked. So, uh, you know, even, yeah. none of the, even though none of the good stuff was showing, just, just to be nice. 
they uh, treated like a set like that. So, by the way, that actress Kathleen McClellan, I did a little dive on her. She has done a ton of work, you know, just one of these just constantly working, working actresses on, um, you know, various shows. But one thing that stuck out to me, she was the sideline correspondent for Battle Dome from 99 to 2001. Do you remember Battle Dome? No. What the hell was Battle Oh, my Dome? gosh. So I discovered this in 99 with my friends. I remember being in the freshman dorms, and it was like this syndicated version of American Gladiators. It was kind of like that, like all these physical challenges. But the element that was different from American Gladiators was they gave all of the quote-unquote gladiators, I forget what they called them, oh, warriors. They gave all of the warriors actual personalities, you know? So it was like WWE (laughs) combined with American Gladiators. And so like the the warriors like talk trash and they had like little cutscenes and they had like through line plots that ran through all of the episodes. And I was like, this is what American Gladiators was missing. It was bought. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And if and if you want to know just how boss it was, Terry Crews was on Battle Dome. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. So I, I just had to point that out. So she was sideline correspondent on that show for from 99 to 01. The uh, the apology represents one of two times ever in the series that Jerry's bicycle was ever removed from hanging on the wall, and the other we have not seen yet. So keep your eyes peeled, wow. Ted. Yeah, both times yes. in the entire series happen in season nine. Interesting. Yeah. They really were just kind of like throwing everything at the wall. Like, what haven't we done? The bike's been on the wall the whole time. What can we do with that? <laughs> Let's do it. I don't even. I don't even remember when the next time is. So I, we got to look out for that. Uh, when complaining to Hanky's sponsor, George claims that in Cub Scouts he was stuck at the Weeblos rank for three years. At the time, George would have been a Cub Scout, like in the 1970s. Weeblos was the highest rank possible, so he really shouldn't have been stuck. So either he was lying or here's my head cannon he was such an awful scout that they wouldn't even let him graduate to the boy scouts when he turned 12 and he had to stay a weeblo and he was like the oldest weeblo with all these all these kids like That's... he was a weeblo until he was like 14 or 15 <laughs> That's what I thought too whenever yeah. whenever we were watching this last week because I I was a scout as well so I so this was familiar to me not <laughs> being held back into weeblos for 3 years but yeah. just the idea of like graduating from cub scouts to boy scouts yeah i, I didn't know anything about that so when i when i saw that i was like well I, I think the joke is even funnier now if you know a little bit about it because <laughs> it just means it fits in so well with george's character he was such an awful scout that they're like we can't responsibly put you in in this in this next level <laughs> <laughs> this episode features two actors that would later go on to have recurring roles on The Office. I wish I would have caught this, but James Spader, as I mentioned, played Robert California in a bunch of episodes in Season 8. And Wayne Wilderson, we've already talked about him, but he's the guy who plays Walter, uh, who gives Peggy his water bottle, and he's also been in a couple of other episodes. He obviously uh, works at J. Peterman somewhere. Uh, he played Martin Nash, one of the employees that comes from the closed Stanford branch during two episodes in Season 3. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they never, they never, Hanky and Walter never cross paths, but it's just interesting that they're, they're both in this episode. <laughs> uh, and here's another crossover event. James Spader and Jason Alexander starred in White Palace. Have you ever heard of this movie, Ted? No. I only, I have never seen it. And I didn't know that, I didn't know that anybody famous was in it, but I think we have to add it to our Patreon now. But the only thing I, I remember about it was the, the poster has like a dude, maybe it's James Spader. A dude like straight up motorboating a woman. And my friend and I in fourth or fifth grade, whenever it came out, we were like, that looks like our kind of movie. (laughs) 
Because that's oh like the age where we were like digging through his parents' VHS collection and like fast forwarding to the filthy parts in all the movies. We're like, we have to see this movie. But I never did. Oh, oh God. Oh. <laughs> so it sounds like a real erotic journey uh, from Milan to Minsk, if you will. <laughs> um, and so White Palace. We, I think we. it sounds like a Christmas movie, you know? James Spader. Oh, it must be Susan Sarandon that he's motorboating on the on the poster. <laughs> Jason Alexander, sure enough. Kathy Bates. So there's some star power in here. Oh man. Okay. Yeah, we'll uh we'll <laughs> tackle it uh possibly after October. Jeremy Piven? Come on. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> you you sold me with Jeremy Piven. I was on this I was on the fence before you told me Jeremy Piven was in it. Yes. Yeah, this is gonna be <laughs> this is gonna be great. Romance slash drama. All right, so put that down. Subscribe now. <laughs> Subscribe now to the Patreon to, so you can hear uh, Ted and I talk about this erotic thriller. Whatever it is. Probably not even a thriller. And that's it. That's all we got. All right, we got any news or anything? Not much, except, you know, that still people are, you know, talking about Netflix. It seems like everybody's kind of settled into the way we're going to have to live with Seinfeld on Netflix. And Seinfeld started, I saw it was a marathon yesterday. I don't remember when they actually started on Comedy Central, but they were running a marathon of the best episodes. And... Interestingly enough, or, or the, the fan favorite voted episodes, and when I turned off the strike, the strike was on Comedy Central. And I was like, how does this look better on Comedy Central than it does on Netflix that I was just watching? Does it really? Yeah, it's like less grainy, Ugh. and even the zooming in is not as noticeable. I don't know. It's like, yeah, it, it, it sucks. But I think when you watch on Comedy Central, they might you know cut out scenes like they do in, in other syndicated runs mm-hmm. and might speed it up so you know you you are sacrificing that but it it looked so much better god maybe we should just finish our run watching it on comedy central <laughs> yeah and like screw the deleted scenes <laughs> yeah just just fuck it <laughs> who cares because like i've i i've gotten so annoyed with netflix what watching seinfeld on netflix for for both episodes that we've watched it now that it's like what is the point what is the point mm-hmm but um, I'm hoping enough I, I, people say that that they actually fix it. Oh, you know they won't. They yeah. they they won't pull a Disney and like actually cater to the fans. Yeah, they no. never do. They'll they'll be the Larry David in this situation and say, "Don't do anything. It'll be funny." <laughs> but I I just want to say I I think it's laughable how quickly Seinfeld fell out of the top ten on Netflix because. <laughs> Just because of all the bad press and like the bad like uh, aspect ratio, everyone's like, "Oh eh, no, I, I heard it doesn't look good on Netflix." You know that that's that's the yeah. word of mouth now. Yep. Yeah, I I am I mean, psyched about it being on, especially now that we're in season nine. Because before when Seinfeld was on, I couldn't just watch it because it was an episode we hadn't seen yet. I was like, "Well, I don't want to jump around and and get confused." Yeah. <laughs> um, but now that we're in season nine, I can watch most episodes. So I'm glad that it's going to be on. Pretty like much office. any yeah. episode, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like The Office. Um, it's just going to be background now, which is great. Yeah. I uh, I do think them falling off the top ten as quickly as they did was definitely helped out by Squid Game just being a, an out-of-nowhere hit. Yeah, I know. And I, and I haven't watched that yet, but it's on my list. Have you, have you finished that or watched it? I haven't finished it, but I am like five episodes into it. Uh, I'm sure you'll get it started probably in March, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The longest amount of time after anybody is done talking about it, you'll start watching it. I only got so far behind when it was part of my job to make sure I did watch everything. And now that I don't have a job like that, I'm able to actually, you know, watch stuff like that. I I have time now. Yeah. 
so I'll I'll get right on it. It's uh it, it it's good though. I'm I'm probably uh, I'm watching the English dubbed version just because I didn't mm. want to sit through nine hours of of uh, Korean and sub and English subtitled yeah dialogue. Uh, am I am I missing something in the plot points? Probably, mm. but I I feel like I'm getting like at least a good eighty five percent of the storyline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if not more. Oh, man. All right. Anything else? No, I think that's it. All right. If you've never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show, despite the last about 24 minutes being exclusively uh, research and homework. We like to have our questions pop up naturally in the run of the episode, as though we are assigning ourselves homework for the next week. Uh, I've never seen these episodes before. Tim has never seen these episodes before in chronological order. After being a lifelong fan for years, if we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet. It's at nohugging on Twitter or nohuggingnolearningshow at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description. Also in the description is a link to our Patreon if you would like to support the show. Five bucks and up gives you access to content. Uh, we do have a, uh, a lower thank you tier that I think is very apropos of us. Gets you nothing yeah. but a thank you. Um, but we are celebrating Halloween month with our Patreon extra bullshit and exclusive bullshit. And we have done so far, what? Hocus Pocus, The Burning, and by the time this comes out, we will have another one out as well. We are doing weekly drops for the month of October to celebrate all of the spooky movies that feature either Seinfeld main cast actors or just Seinfeld extras in the case of uh, this week's movie, the movie that just came out. Um, also, if you'd like to support the podcast, but if you don't uh, want to give us any money right now you can give us a five-star rating and a written review on apple podcasts and we will send you a free of charge holographic no hugging no learning sticker we just need your mailing address um be sure to uh write that review because that's really how we know who wrote into us and wh- how we can give a shout out to people but um as of us recording this what I said last week hasn't come out yet, so we are still at 39 reviews, mm-hmm. and I want to get that bumped up to 50 by the time that we finish up with Seinfeld, um, so flood those, knock that fucking one-star review off the front page. Our, our literally only review that is not five stars, and it has to be on the front page, right? Ah, screw that guy. Oh, man, <laughs> but uh, all that being said... Uh, season 9, episode 10, The Strike, original air date, December 18th, 1997. Yeah. I was four years, 11 months, and 28 days old. Wow. Two days removed from my fifth <laughs> birthday. <sighs> and, Tim, if you're counting this episode and every other episode we've got left, we have 13 episodes until we become a... we got a lot of... Um, interesting prospects this week. We can become a chemical disaster podcast. I feel like that would be Ooh. people would listen to that. You know, you know how big Chernobyl Ooh, was and yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we we play it like play up the true crime angle, make it very narrative. Yeah. O- uh, or we become a Baskin Robbins podcast where we I don't know if we need to travel around and try all the flavors. <laughs> maybe we we yeah maybe we travel to Baskin Robbins and we try every flavor. See if we can taste every flavor they have. You know, they, they used to give out those free samples and those little spoons. Oh, and then man. just leave. <laughs> <laughs> or we, we just set up shop and record the episode in the lobby of Baskin Robbins. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> like right after we've tried a taste of every single every single ice cream. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We don't buy anything. We nope. maybe buy a water after our ice cream, and that's it. <laughs> and then we space. stay there and record until the cops are called on us. And, and after and afterwards, we or we can do Fishcast, a Michael Fishman podcast where we watch everything he did except Roseanne. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> So what? It'll be four episodes? Yeah, I think so. And we don't even get to watch Little Bigfoot. We have to watch Little Bigfoot 2. We'll have no idea what's going on. <laughs> oh, we're going to be so lost with the story. Why are they journeying home? Where Where were they? We'll never know. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, if you are looking at TV Guy the night of December 18th, 1997, you are going to see Frank brings back his holiday Festivus, period. George invents a charity, period. Kramer's 12-year strike at a bagel shop ends, period. Elaine pursues a free sandwich, period. <laughs> wow. It, I've never heard... I mean, those are all the jokes, but when it's put like that, it's just so... It sucks. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah, yeah. Like, it ruins all the jokes while, while somehow being not funny at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> while somehow making it sound not funny. Like, oh, like, I don't want to watch that you... episode. <laughs> If you ruin the punchline of someone's joke, uh, most of the time you're still going to laugh because it, it's still inherently funny. But this is out of context punchlines yeah. of things that you need the setup for. Yeah. So maybe we can make it better uh, when we get to the end. I think, yeah, I think we'll be able to. We'll see. We'll see. We can take a little bit of the plot out and add some more tease. I think that's going to be, our, you know, job one. But we'll see. Uh, we start with a cold open and... Elaine, Jerry, and George are at Tim Watley's Hanukkah party, and hey, there's Brian Cranston again, just popping up. Hey, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I love how much I had no idea how many episodes with Tim Watley there actually were, even as a lifelong fan for years. But there he is, uh, and he's still <laughs> Jewish, obviously. Um, meanwhile, Elaine is getting eyes from another famous person, Kevin McDonald. Oh my God, you recognized him, right? I I did. I didn't know his name, but I'm like, hey, it's. He's just one of those guys yeah. to me where I'm like, as soon as I see his face, I'm like, oh, hey, it's it's that guy. But I don't <laughs> I know nothing about him. I don't know his name. And I couldn't tell you one thing that he's in off the top of my head. But I, I have seen him before and I recognize him. He's one of those actors that just like looks like a he he just blends in to whatever role he's in. But he also looks cartoonish. So I know he's done a yeah. lot of kids stuff. So I'm willing to bet that he pops up. Maybe it's been a while since we've had a, a, an actor in a in a lot of good original Disney comedy. What are they? Disney original comedies, right? Uh, DCOM, DCOM. Disney Channel original movie. Oh, there we go. I was like, where did I get comedy? I guess I was thinking com. Um, <laughs> I'd venture to say he might pop up in a couple of those. I know him, of course, as as one of the kids in the hall, along with oh, Dave Foley. Oh yeah, and, yeah, duh. Okay, I I want to say he's a voice actor too. Like he's oh, a definitely he's a kids show voice actor. Yeah, he is. I'm trying to think of what he had like a big starring role in, like. Man, I can't. I, we'll, we'll do it next week. We'll dive in next week. But I'm going to say okay. this also leans cameo to me because he was definitely already oh, absolutely. very famous, especially in the comedy world by this time. So maybe we'll find out why he actually ended up in this role. Uh, maybe it was just to be funny in a, in a guest spot. And Elaine's already planning on giving Kevin McDonald, who she's calling Denim Vest, by the way, because that's what he's wearing. <laughs> all denim. He's got the Jay Leno tuxedo. Yeah, we, oh, we yeah. don't know his name until the very end. Right. But he is Canadian, so it's it's appropriate that he's wearing the Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> and Elaine's already planning on giving him a fake phone number 
And meanwhile, Jerry ditches her so that he can go pick up a woman. And I love this gag. They don't sit on this very long, but she tries to hold him by the arm and Jerry tugs it away. I love the arm tug. It's one of my favorite running physical gags of the whole series. I also loved uh, Elaine saying uh, what her fake number was. And it spells out, no, Elaine. And Jerry says, isn't that... (laughs) Isn't that eight characters? And Elaine says, yeah, the extra E is four. And as she looks over at Denim Vest, just goes, ugh. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was funny, too, She that, that it seems to be like just a big singles mixer, and she calls it Studio 54 with a menorah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also that George isn't interested in, in getting with anybody. He goes straight for the kosher cocktail weenies. <laughs> <laughs> Which, knowing Tim Watley, I'm willing to bet they weren't actually kosher. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of guessing that like that's how that's how dedicated to Judaism he actually is. That like <laughs> he would get them and go, oh damn, well I'll just write kosher on a card and put it in front. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? Who knows? Uh, over at Monks, George ate so many kosher cocktail weenies that he had to call in sick again. But he works at Kruger Industrial Smoothing. We don't care, and it shows. So he's not really worried about it. <laughs> And he gets a card from Tim Watley in return from some Yankees tickets he gave him in the earlier scene, or that Watley thanked him for in the earlier scene. And the card is a donation to the Children's Alliance. And George is very upset about this. It's essentially saying, you know, oh, thanks for the awesome gift you gave me. I gave your gift to someone else. Uh, and I love that he's like, you know, he's he's like, where's your Christmas spirit? It's an eye for an eye. Like, he should have been given something equal to or more than awesome Yankees yeah. tickets that he probably got for free because he said he's still in with the grounds crew. Absolutely, yeah. And I love Jerry saying, mm, don't get me anything for Christmas this year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just love his misreading of the Christmas spirit. Like, if I give you a good gift, you're supposed to give me a great gift. Where's your Christmas spirit? That's Christmas. No- uh, only the first of, uh, I think, two great misreadings by George Okay, in this episode. Elaine, meanwhile, comes in, and she's going to go... She's not getting anything at the coffee shop to eat. She's going to Atomic Sub later, because she has a card where once you get 24 <laughs> stamps, you get a free sub. Do I remember when Subway had the card with the little paper stamps that you had to put oh, on Oh, yeah. It. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not for, um, not for Subway, but I've got a card like that in my wallet right now for a coffee shop. Yeah. Oh, those are great. Yeah, I still love. I got oh one God, for yeah. Rita's Italian Ice. I, uh, you know, they they do that, and that's <laughs> paid off a couple times. But, but it was. I, I remember you used to have to get these little, and I think you did have to lick the back and actually put it on your card. It wasn't like an ink <laughs> stamp. They might have moved to that eventually, but they were really worried about people faking these free sub cards. It definitely wasn't twenty four either. It might have been twelve. That kind of fits their yeah, whole. Yeah, twenty four is thing. a lot. Yes. Yeah. George gets a card from his dad, wishing him a happy Festivus. And to George's protest, Jerry explains that Frank invented his own holiday because of the religious and commercial aspects of Christmas. And he has a pole instead of a tree. And there's feats of strength that George always ended up crying during. And George gets so upset, he actually goes to work, uh, (laughs) which I love. I'm going to work now. Are you happy? (laughs) Over in Jerry's apartment, Superman is on the shelf. And Kramer is reading Jerry's VCR manual. And we get the we can't all read the classics meme format. Have you seen this I've on never soup seen posting? This, actually. No. Oh. No. Yeah, it's it you know, it's it's Jerry asking Kramer, are you blah blah blah? And then Kramer saying back, we can't all <laughs> blah blah blah. <laughs> you know. So maybe it maybe oh. he's talking about 
you know, are you listening to Tool or are you, I don't know. It's a meme format that I've seen a couple times. Uh, Elaine. I've never oh, seen yeah. this one. Wow. Okay. One. <laughs> maybe I'll send you, maybe I'll, uh, I'll text you some of my favorite ones or I'll just post them on, on our Twitter account. <laughs> you can see them there. That's how Ted okay. and I communicate sometimes. So Elaine wrote her phone number on her atomic sub card to give to Denim Vest. And she's very upset because of all the work she put in to get that one free sub. Kramer uh, mentions that, oh, yeah, well, Jerry says, oh, they probably have it in a computer or something. I mean, look, they're cloning sheep. And Kramer says, they're not cloning sheep. It's the same sheep. I saw Harry Blackstone do that trick with, I forget what he says, two goats and a handkerchief or something like that. I, I think it was like uh, a, a sheep, a goat, and a handkerchief, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Um, as, as though he was, like, turning the goat into, like, a cloned second sheep or something? Yes, yeah. Maybe, like, the... I don't know. It, I mean, Kramer's making it up. I don't know what, why I'm trying to figure out a magic <laughs> trick that he made up. But do you remember Blackstone the Magician? No. Oh, my gosh. He was on some kid's show. I'm going to write this down for next week. Because he was on... I want to say it was, like, Square One or some educational show like that where he had a little bit. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was at the time when... Like, every kid gets into magic, right? Were you into magic, like, hardcore? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not okay. hardcore, I, but I was into it. Yeah. Um, I don't know how hardcore I got. I mean, just as hardcore as, like, getting one of those 50 magic tricks and a cheap-ass plastic top hat in this oh, yeah. set. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I never had the, like, magic kit, but what I did have was, like, specialized, like, trick books. Like, learn how to do, like, one ah. thing, like make these magnets disappear or something or um yeah. what was another one that i had um they they were always like books that were sold with uh with like our scholastic book order forms in <laughs> yeah. in elementary school you remember those things yes not like, totally not they were like the offshoot of like the book fair they were put out by the same company um yeah. but it was just orders that would come directly to your classroom oh yeah when that box showed up and the teacher was like, we're not opening it till the end of the day. And you just had to stare at it knowing your magic yeah. books or whatever you ordered were in there. Fuck yeah. yeah. Brutal. <laughs> I, yeah, so I it, I was just so into, and it was at the time that, like, David Copperfield was getting primetime specials. and But I remember Harry Blackstone a little bit. So we'll, we'll do a little dive on him uh, next week just because just it came up and I kind of recognized the name. Uh, Kramer gets a call that the H&H bagel strike is over after 12 years. Uh, 12 years ago, they demanded 5.35 an hour, and that's what they're paying now. And so he's going back to work, and Elaine's like, that's the current <laughs> minimum wage. And he's like, well, now you know who to thank for that. <laughs> for the new minimum wage, she said. And he never told Jerry that he was on strike. And I like the continuity that he went on strike 12 years ago, and 11 years ago, he met Jerry. Like So the year yeah. before, he had gone, yeah. that's... That's such attention to detail that sometimes we don't get from Seinfeld writing. But he didn't want Jerry to know he was out of work. (laughs) It's embarrassing. (laughs) But I I don't know. I feel like being on strike, well, it would have been, it would have gotten weirder as the time went on. But that's kind of a noble reason to be out of work, I think. Uh, He could have told Jerry. By the way, so we get a shot here of H&H Bagels. And that was a real company. I never knew this. Um, Really? But this set appears to be an on-set recreation of the original location at 2239 Broadway. 2239 Broadway was on a corner. This is obviously in the middle of their standard strip mall set. In fact, it's such their standard strip mall set. When I was watching The Soup Nazi, which came on after 
so I guess the Soup Nazi was voted the best episode of all time by Comedy Central Seinfeld viewers. And the strike was, I guess, really? second best. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. But when somebody runs bo- runs out of the Soup Nazi's uh, restaurant down the street, they run past the business that is next to H&H Bagels. It's, ca- it's called like Love's Health Items or something like that. It's uh, oh. Yeah. And it's the exact same awning. And I was like, hey. Uh, and so that must be H&H Bagels. So it goes H&H Bagels, <laughs> this weird health store, and then the Soup Nazis place. They're all on the same, they're all on the same set anyway, uh, and all on the same block in the universe. The original location, we'll do a little H&H Bagels dive too, because I, I really thought it was something they made up for Seinfeld. But evidently it's like one of these Manhattan institutions that was just completely lost as a, uh, on me as a middle American, uh, you know, teenager. But evidently it's pretty iconic. But it's the same sign, font, and the same slogan. But the original location there, 2239 Broadway, is now a Verizon store. So no uh, bagels. Kramer no. walks in, and <laughs> the guy, he's like, hey, I'm back. Like, expecting a huge uh, welcoming. And the guy behind the oh, counter yeah, goes, he, who are you? He screams at the people, <laughs> like, just sitting down eating their bagels. <laughs> and the guy is completely puzzled. But then when he's like, oh, it's, it's Kramer. And he kind of gives the guy a profile shot of his face. I don't know if you know. He's like, you know, me. Like, don't you recognize me? He's like, oh, yeah. And Kramer's like, wait, none of the other guys came back? And he was like, I think they all got other jobs like 10 years ago. I love that line. (laughs) Um, But he's like, I could use some help for the holidays. So Kramer shoves his coat into the bagel display case, the fresh bagel (laughs) display case. Uh, And... He is uh, ready to get back to work, but he's amazed by the raisin bagels and says, I never thought I'd see these. Never thought I'd live to see the day or something like that. I recognize this actor that played the H&H bagels guy. I'm going to have to just write him down because he's just got one of those faces. I think he was, um, man, he, okay, you're going to wonder how I got onto this journey. I believe he is the woodshop teacher in Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide on Nickelodeon. Wow. Well, I totally believe you. That was a live-action show, right? Yeah. Wow. You're, it's, you're probably it's right. It's the voice. Yeah. It's the voice. He has a very distinct voice. He always looked to me, and I'm going to see if I can find, <laughs> I doubt I'll be able to. He, he's an actor that I know I've seen in a ton of stuff, and I have this odd point of reference for him. He looked like... No, I can't. I'm not going to be able to find it. I have this image of a piece of clip art in my mind (laughs) that he looked exactly like. And I just, whenever I see him, I think of that clip art. And it's just like, and it's like oddly off-putting to me. So I wonder if I have some weird um, repressed memory about this piece of clip art or something that happened while I was looking at it. Because it always (laughs) troubles me when I see him and I think of that. Which is, I know, yeah. very, very weird. I, I probably should go to therapy just over this alone. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So, we'll, we'll find out what else he is from. In addition to, I'm sure, Ned's Declassified. What's it again? Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. Yeah. I do remember hearing. I, I, I know I've heard the name of that show. But um, what what who played Ned? No one famous? Devin uh, Werkheiser? Werkheimer? Okay. Didn't know if it was one of those kid stars that I might have heard, the, no, heard their name no. before. No. Oh, God, no. <laughs> And uh, over at an off, uh, off-track betting, it's actually called horse-track betting, not off-track betting. <laughs> uh, this is not real, but thanks to, I'm sure you saw it, Ted, the video store next door had their address plastered on their awning, 166 Court Street. 
I know yeah. that this horse track betting fake location would be at 164 Court Street uh, in Brooklyn. Elaine had to go. Elaine's number. This is this is the. Um, <laughs> it's an OTB where her number actually rings to, and uh, she had to go all the way to Brooklyn, which is easily a 40 to 45 minute trip, whether you're taking the subway or you want to drive, and you might pay a toll. Uh, you, you'll have to take a toll road if you actually want to make it there quickly. What I what I didn't get though is it's brought up in the very beginning. Her fake number has eight digits. What what is what is the extra digit ringing to? Is it like a call center and like dial whatever E is uh, dial three for this location? Maybe once you hit number seven, the line just engages, and you know it's not like a cell phone where you'd you'd put in the whole number and hit go. You know when you dial, it's listening for, and once it gets to seven. You know, it, it's mm, just going to go, true. and it's just going to disregard that final thing when you're dialing on a landline. It's going to disregard that final digit. That's true. That's, I didn't think that's of that. my guess. Okay. And, but so uh, this horse track betting would be at 164 Court Street in Brooklyn, and it is now Edelweiss Floral, and the video store is now a hair place called Benefit Boutique. So when Elaine shows up at the horse track betting place where her fake number rings, the clerk knows her because they've been getting calls for her for five years. And Charlie knows her, and all the skeevy dudes in the off-track betting room Uh know her. They're like, hey, Charlie, Elaine's here. I mean, they couldn't find, like, two greasier, skeezier guys than these. I know. (laughs) So well cast. So the guy starts just being completely skeezy towards Elaine, saying, uh, hey, you know, you make a lot of man friends. You know who's a man? Charlie here is a man. You know who else is a man? I'm a man. And Charlie's delivery of I'm a man was so weird here. I had to watch it three or four <laughs> times to see if there was... Did the audio kind of like drop out for you? I, I didn't notice that. Charlie goes, I'm a man. And, and I'm like, what? what wow. Are you? Yeah. I, it was really weird. So Elaine needs her that sub card back. And she knows Denim Vest is going to call this number. So, you know, he's like, hey, yeah. Uh, why don't you give me your real number? And that way I'll have it. And so Elaine knows she has to give him another fake number. And so she gives him the number from Kramer's business card that he gave them when he announced the strike was over, which lists him as a bagel technician at H&H. <laughs> and so it's got the number for H. She gives him the number for H&H bagels. Uh, over at La Boite en Bois, which, tell me you recognized it, Ted. The restaurant? I know we've yeah. been here before. Yeah, yeah. It's in the wallet and the watch and the mango and the masseuse and the conversion and the sponge. <laughs> Uh, it's at 75 West 68th Street, so it, it's like our it's our standard <laughs> fancy restaurant. It is. Anytime they need to go to a nice place, uh, they go to Le Bois and Bois. So if you need a deep dive on that, go. I, I would recommend the wallet. I guess that's probably the first time I did it, but I probably did it again in the Mango or the Masseuse later on, forgetting that I had already done it. Uh, 75 <laughs> West 68th Street, still there, still there. Uh, Jerry runs into Tim Watley, and interestingly enough, Jerry tells him, "I'm on a date with a woman I met at your party," and this ugly girl shows up and Jerry can't believe it's actually Gwen. And Jerry gives a look to Tim Watley, who kind of gives him a, I don't know. I don't know how to describe his face. Like, Oh boy. Something like that. I just saw a gif, three different ruined takes by Seinfeld. Every time he does the look, the slow look to Tim Watley. <laughs> and he just he just he just does that same phase again and it cracks Jerry up every single time. He broke so many times during uh, oh, during man. this uh, yeah, during this little turn. <laughs> uh, up in 
Jerry's apartment. He's explaining to George that she's was pretty once, and and then she showed up, and she's ugly. And George has experienced this before. She's a two face. And Jerry says, like the Batman villain. And George <laughs> exasperatedly goes, if that helps you. <laughs> but if I were George, I would get pedantic and say, no, not like the Batman villain, because Two Face has a nice face and a horrible face on the same face at the same time. She's, <laughs> I don't know what, she's not like a Batman villain. She's not like the Batman villain Two-Face, I can tell you that, uh, because both Two-Faces show up every single time. But George is pulling a Watley on his office, and he has printed up cards saying that a donation has been made in your honor to the Human Fund, a charity that he made up, and the slogan is Money for People. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, don't, I'm not going to write it down for homework, but I thought this back and forth between... Because Jerry earlier says, I don't know who's going to show up, the good, the bad, or the ugly. And George goes, Clint Eastwood, because that's a Clint Eastwood movie reference. And then when he says, it's got a certain understated stupidity about George's human fun plan, he says, the outlaw Josie Wales. And Jerry goes, yeah. Uh, I thought that was weird. Yeah, is that a game, I'm guessing? What do you mean? Like, the, that they might be playing like some kind of movie quote game? I guess, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. George probably thinks Jerry is dropping these references. But, yeah, I, I don't think... Uh, I, I Googled it quickly, and I don't think understated stupidity or whatever is said in the Outlaw Josie Wales at all. <laughs> but I guess George thought it was another another movie reference, and Jerry's just messing with him. Uh, Kramer brings in some day-old bagels for Jerry and George. And everyone is wishing George a happy Festivus, which he hates, including Elaine, who comes in. Kramer loves the idea of Festivus, though. He's so impressed that Frank could be so prolific to invent his own holiday. And Elaine is explaining the phone relay to Kramer that Denim Vest is going to end up calling there after he calls the OTB, and uh, she needs to meet him to get that card. I loved, uh, at the very end of this, like, Jerry just uh, asking Elaine about the uh, the atomic subcard. He's just like, is there a captain's hat involved in this? <laughs> Elaine just goes, maybe. <laughs> if they do give you a captain's hat that says atomic subs on it or whatever, and I, now I understand 24. Like 24 for a sandwich, no. 24 <laughs> for a piece of merch, like now I'm in. I'm in for 24. Oh, and, and you know it's like the paper Long John Silver's <laughs> hat, too. It's not, it's not anything that's going to cost them more than a dime. Yeah, I, for twenty four though, I would want at least that like paper thin cloth that like you can poke your finger through, you know, that's like barely <laughs> knitted together. But it probably is a paper. It probably is paper. Uh, knowing this fake sub place um, over at H and H, Kramer is learning from Frank all about Festivus, uh, and Frank came up with it when he was getting a doll for George, which gets a laugh already. But then, so he was reaching. He, he was getting a doll for his son. Uh, which does get a laugh, but it gets a better laugh later yeah. on. But he's like, you know, another guy reached for it. And I've always loved this delivery. Another man reached for it. As I rained blows upon him, I, lo I always <laughs> loved that super dramatic delivery. I thought there has to be a better way. And so he came up with a Festivus for the rest of us. And Kramer now says, wow, that must have been some doll. And just to, just to drive the point home, Frank goes, oh, she was. <laughs> <laughs> just to drive the point home that he's buying a... a a girl doll for for George, whose mom remember has a huge doll collection. So I feel like as a therapist for Jason Alexander for 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 George Costanza, I mean, I would start right there with dolls. <laughs> let's let's unpack those dolls for a second. Over at Kruger Industrial Smoothing, we get an out uh, we get a, a shot of the building. I don't think we we got that last week, but this building is 101 Park Avenue, which is 
one of the, you know, just a very famous Manhattan office building in Murray Hill. It, it contains not only the American Kennel Club corporate office, but their Museum of the Dog. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I didn't know that was time, a thing. Yeah, me neither. Um, so the next time you're in uh, NYC, Ted, I feel like that's right up your alley, the Museum of the Dog. I, I, I wonder <laughs> if dogs are allowed in the Museum of the Dog. I would hope they are. It would be messed <laughs> up. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we touched on uh, something that sounds like a Simpsons joke earlier, but seeing a sign that says, American Kennel Club, Museum of the Dog, and then panning down t- to a smaller sign that just says, no dogs allowed inside. Perfect. It's very, very <laughs> Simpsons-esque. <laughs> yeah. Uh, over at, uh, oh, oh, um, also other um, tenants in this building include Morgan Stanley. Uh, the Royal Bank of Scotland has an office here, and so is Nespresso's North American headquarters is in 101 mm. Park Avenue. Yeah, it's near the UN. If you if you're looking for an office there, uh, it's where Kruger Industrial Smoothing is, as I said. And George is handing out his human fund cards in exchange for, as we're learning, super nice stuff like nice bottles of wine, amazing cigars, and uh, <laughs> and he gives. I loved when he. Uh, he flings one into the office of the guy. He's like, hey, love those cigars. And he flings the card at him. And the guy goes, ow. <laughs> <laughs> I love that little pathetic ow <laughs> uh, that you hear from the office. And he gives one to Kruger, who just looks at it and goes, whatever. <laughs> and I think George some- says something like, that's the idea or yeah, something like that, which is great. Over at H&H, Frank is still explaining uh, Festivus, and there's a dinner, and then you tell your family all the ways they disappointed you throughout the year, and then, I, I don't know if he mentions the feats of strength here, but Kramer is very excited about celebrating, so Frank announces that Festivus is back, I'll go get the pole out of the crawl space, and he passes Elaine on the way in, and all he says is, hello, woman. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was weird, because I'm like, does Frank not know who Elaine is? I think he definitely does, but I think he also has a problem with her. Didn't he call her, like, supercilious or something? I don't know. I think, he, I mean, he definitely does know who she is, and she even, he even helped her uh, translate the, was it there, was it the Korean they were speaking? In the uh, nail place. Yeah, I'm trying to think while I'm Googling oh, yeah. at the same time. But he, he does say, so here's the line, line he has about Elaine. Elaine, I could see not saying hello. She's very, what's the word? Supercilious. How could Jerry not <laughs> say hello? Uh, it's when they when they see him in the city with Larry David in a cape and they don't say hello. And, and George tells him about it because he wants to know why his dad was in the city. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he he does. And maybe that's why he, he won't give her as good of a greeting because he doesn't think she would give him as good of a greeting. And she did snub him on a hello once. Yeah, that maybe maybe it's all just a big callback to that. Hello, woman. Frank, meanwhile, won't give Kramer the 23rd off to celebrate Festivus. And so Kramer goes back on strike. Elaine has to stay now because Kramer's not going to be there monitoring the phone. And he, so he yells at Elaine to scab at her. I, I loved Kramer yelling at the shop owner or the shop manager just saying, you're infringing on my right to celebrate new holidays. <laughs> Yeah. He's like, that's not a right. He's like, well, it will be. We're going on strike. <laughs> and he yells at everybody. And no one, there's only one other worker and he doesn't move. He's like, it's a walkout. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe there's not some kind of bagel technician union that Kramer had to ask to make sure that he could go on strike. You know, normally there's some kind of vote <laughs> on that. <laughs> in a cab, Jerry is meeting Gwen and the pretty one shows up until they get in the tunnel. And 
I love Jerry's yelp when he sees Gwen again. He lets out this little yelp every time she turns ugly. And I, I also love the double meanings of all of the things they're saying. When He's like, uh, so what do you feel like? Uh, Italian, Chinese? And then he turns and it's the ugly one. And he goes, oh! and she goes, I could go either way. <laughs> October is Halloween month with No Hugging, No Learning. Join us over at patreon.com slash no hugging, where you can get access to a spooky movie review every week of October with someone from the Seinfeld universe. We're covering the film debuts of Jason Alexander and Julia Louis-Dreyfus with The Burning and Troll, respectively, and also Hocus Pocus with Seinfeld legend Bette Midler. You can get access to a full month of movie reviews for just five bucks. Patreon.com slash no hugging. Over at Monk's, Jerry is there talking to George, and he's explaining that she's jumping back and forth now, minute to minute, between good-looking and not good-looking. And in fact, the only place she really looked good was in the back booth at Monk's all the time. Uh, George, (laughs) meanwhile, is wearing some nice cufflinks that he got as another awesome Christmas gift. I love that Jerry notices that's not a French cuff shirt, by the way. He's like, oh, I know. I took the button off, and I poked a hole with a letter opener through the other one. (laughs) (laughs) Frank and Kramer drag the Festivus pole into Monks, and this was such a great character-defining line for George, where Frank, you know, <laughs> is telling George that Festivus is part of who you are, and George goes, I know, that's why I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, so, I love, I yeah. love what plays on the tape recorder, too. <laughs> Yeah, he plays a cassette of a previous feats of strength, and well, yeah, what uh, I, I don't remember specifically what is said, but it's just Frank yelling at George and Estelle yelling at Frank not to make George cry. <laughs> oh, it's well, it's uh, Frank yelling at George to read something, re- read something about the feats of strength, uh, but George is saying, "I can't, I don't have my glasses." <laughs> but Frank just yells at him, "You don't need glasses. You're weak. You're weak." <laughs> yeah, you don't need glasses. You're just weak. Uh, and and George runs out. And Gwen shows up, but it's ugly Gwen, and she meets Kramer and Frank, and Jerry and Gwen move to the back booth, where now it's the pretty one again. Uh, Over at H&H Bagels, Kramer is picketing out front, telling people, trying to tell people not to go inside, yelling, no bagel, no bagel. And Kramer calls (laughs) Elaine from the outside and telling her that he sabotaged the bagel machine, and you might want to get out of there, because it's going down. And steam starts bursting out of this pipe, and the other worker in there goes, uh, hey, the steam valve broke. And the manager says, can we still make bagels? She's like, sure, it's just a little steamy. <laughs> and, and Elaine gives a, like, a just like shrugs to Kramer, who looks super disappointed outside that his master plan has failed. <laughs> I love the just nonchalant. Sure, it's just a little steamy. The nonchalant delivery of the other guy. Over at Kruger, Kruger gives a $20,000 check to George because they have to make a charity donation from the company books. And he's like, uh, they're all the same to me, so I made it out to that human fund. And and then Kruger's locked out of his office, and he's like, oh, dang it. All right, I'm just going home. <laughs> <laughs> Kruger is such a fun character. I just love everything he does and says. I know there's probably a a ceiling to, like, keeping this level (laughs) of of, I just don't give a shit about anything. (laughs) But I wish that we would get Kruger for longer in the series. Yeah, I know. It's just a shame we we had to wait to meet him until the ninth season. Um, Over at Monk's, Gwen is getting fed up with coming to the coffee shop all the time. She found a rubber band in her soup, and Jerry goes, oh, I know who's cooking today. (laughs) Uh, and she kind of storms out 
when George shows up, and so he takes her place and her soup, finds the rubber band, and he goes, oh, Paco. And shoots it back at him, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what I thought was, when I saw that, was like, there's no way that made it to the kitchen. So, like, a soup-covered, nasty rubber band just hit somebody else. <laughs> In monks, and I'd be very upset about that. But George, and even if it did yeah. make it back to the kitchen, you're flinging soup on everyone in its path. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's residual soup hitting everybody. But George is thinking about keeping the $20,000 check because he thinks he could be a kick-ass philanthropist, as he says. Um, but, of course, oh, oh, this is the other misreading. This was also, I agree, yeah. maybe, an even, maybe an even funnier scene because he was like, people would come begging me for money. And if I felt like it, I've, I'd help them. And then they'd owe me big time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, is though, it is, it is a misread on what a philanthropist is. Yeah. But he's not wrong on what philanthropy is, essentially. Yeah. If, if anything, <laughs> you know, I... I if anything, it's a misread, but it's not a misread. Yeah, it's really a conservatism view of philanthropy. It's like that's why yeah. nobody believes that like Bill Gates or Dolly Parton or anybody would like give money to anybody out of the goodness of their hearts. Because like, what do you mean? What do you mean you'd you'd give money and not expect anything in return? I don't believe that's po- like it's such projection. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's a very it's a very red uh, viewpoint of philanthropy. Yeah, definitely. It, it's like no one can believe that anyone would do something just and not expect <laughs> anything in return. So they can't believe, you know, just because that's what that's what they would do. Yeah, there's got to be an ulterior motive. So it, it definitely is. <laughs> but I also love that. That's the reason he wants to be a philanthropist. Over at H&H, Denim Vest did call and outside Elaine runs out and she's been sitting in this room, you know, f- filling with steam for a long time. And as Kramer says, when he sees her, her her mascara has run all over her eyes and her hair is all flat and wet. And Kramer goes, Yamahama, it's Fright Night. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's meeting Denim Vest in 10 minutes. Gwen, meanwhile, runs into Kramer. And she's like, oh, Kramer, I'm Jerry's. I'm dating your friend Jerry who met at the coffee shop. He's like, uh, I don't know who you really are, but you're much better looking than Jerry's girlfriend. Uh, and a foot taller i think he says uh and so gwen is like that's why we're always hiding in the coffee shop i'm his side piece and he's worried about getting caught uh and and kramer adds in i love this oh he's a tomcat (laughs) like he doesn't put that past jerry even though that's not what's going on oh he's a tomcat Uh, elaine meets up with denim vest on the street who is put off by elaine's appearance and he left the atomic subcard at his place no doubt trying to get Elaine, of course, to go up to his apartment. But he's like, but we can't go there now. Um, <laughs> and Elaine is not going to let him leave without a chance of getting that subcard. So she's like, all right, no, no, no. Give me your number. And, you know, when we can meet up again. Uh, and he gives her a fake number from a moving truck that was across the street. And as he runs away, he says, Yamahama. <laughs> uh, did you hear? This is where this is where we get his his name. Oh, what is it? Steve. Steve, I totally did not catch that. Does he call? Who calls him? How do we know it's Steve? What? Who says it? Elaine does as oh, she's okay. walking up, and, and uh, I don't know how she knows his name because she just always calls him Vest or Denim Vest. Denim. But vest. as she's walking up, she just goes Steve. Ah, uh, maybe he said it on the phone or something. Maybe. I mean, yeah, he doesn't know he's Denim Vest, so he would have had to have said his name when. Yeah, it's not like she hey, can Steve. just yell out, "Hey, Denim Vest." Hey, Denim Vest. And doesn't he have like does he have he has the vest on? Does he also have a denim jacket on too in this scene? I feel like he mm-hmm. upped his game. Yeah, I thought so. Mm-hmm. He went full formal. 
attire to meet up. Uh, over at Kruger, uh, accounting sent a letter to Mr. Kruger saying there's no such thing as the human fund. And that means George had <laughs> better have a good reason for giving him a fake Christmas gift. And so George... Uh, says, well, my family doesn't celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Festivus. And I was afraid of being persecuted for my beliefs. As he says, they drove my family out of Bayside uh, for, for celebrating Festivus, which I, th- I think is just a neighborhood in Queens. Before before George confesses to Festivus, I loved his back and forth with Kruger because Kruger says that there's no such thing uh, there's no such thing as the human fund. And George just goes, well, there could be. Uh, and yeah, Kruger yeah. just says, but there isn't. <laughs> yeah, and he like flicks the letter that he just got. I like the exchange at the end when, because there's a couple ways to read it. Because George goes, and uh, I can prove it if I have to. And Kruger goes, yeah, you're probably better. And it sounds threatening. <laughs> but I think Kruger probably meant it as like, damn it, this is more work for me. Like, I know that yeah, someone's going to ask me we- to... Yeah. We know he doesn't care about anything. <laughs> yeah. I really think the reading, the correct reading is like, yeah, I guess you better. Like someone smarter than me is going to tell me that you should probably <laughs> prove it anyway. So it's exasperated. It's not threatening, I... but it could come off either way. <laughs> yeah. Over at George's parents' house, George does bring Kruger to the Festivus celebration. And uh, Jerry and Elaine show up as well. And George gives Elaine a Yamahama at this point. Elaine didn't have time to go back and and fix herself up so she came right here from meeting denim vest and kruger is there so it's obvious that george has been as he says busted cold on the 20 g's <laughs> and kramer shows up with charlie and the other skeezy guy from the off-track betting place because they called h and h looking for elaine and he told them he was about to meet up with her as kramer calls it it's a festivus <laughs> miracle we never we only get charlie's name which i'm kind of disappointed as i i was hoping we'd get the other guy's name at some point but i don't think we ever do we never learn it and this is a great bit of continuity as well as everyone sits down to dinner kruger recognizes kramer as dr van nostren oh my god yeah (laughs) that was amazing uh and we start with the airing of grievances and frank starts with kruger and he starts yelling at him, you couldn't smooth a silk sheet if you had a date with a hot babe. And then he stops and he's like, I lost my train of thought. And he just sits down. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Gwen shows up. And as Kramer says, it's another Festivus miracle. And she mistakes Elaine for, oh, this must be that ugly girl I've been hearing about. <laughs> Uh, but she runs out and Jerry's like, Gwen, wait. And we hear a yelp from off camera. <laughs> And then he comes back and he goes, bad lighting on the porch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Frank picks Kramer for the feats of strength. But Kramer at that point remembers he has to work a double at H&H. He caved uh, on his strike demand so that he could use their bathroom. That's why that's why the strike kind of dissipated the first time around. They wouldn't let them use the bathroom while they were picketing. And he's like, well, someone else has to do the feats of strength. And Kruger taking a swig from a flask goes, how about George? And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, George has to pin his father as we get an outside view of, again, Frank and Estelle yelling at uh, at George. And we do get one more scene at H&H where Kramer kneads the gum he was chewing into the bagel dough, which the manager sees and finally fires him, to which Kramer says, thank you. I loved his exasperated just, all right, that's it. You're fired. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And he uh, takes off his... Uh, takes off his uh, apron and and that's it that's the end of the episode this was the perfect like end credit scene because how many episodes have we gotten 
where it's just like the the credits are rolling, but the episode is still going. We get like two or three full scenes with credits over. Yeah. Them. This was a true epilogue. It was yeah. yeah it really had nothing it, it do, to do with it doesn't, the plot. Yeah. Exactly. It adds nothing to the story. I mean, te- technically it kind of does, but you don't need it as uh as a well what happened to to this and that and this. But I mean, just watching the show, you know, well, obviously next week Kramer's not going to be working to H&H Bagel, but it just shows that, okay, well, here's the definitive end to it. Yeah, it does close that plot hole where they don't have to say it. They didn't have to make a joke. You know, we actually got to see it. It didn't have to be like, wait, are you still working at H&H? Oh, no, I blah, 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 insert joke here. Like, it was, it's a much better button on that storyline than we would have gotten if they hadn't done it. But yeah, it's, it's a true epilogue yeah. and it just closes a storyline. Oh, man. All right. What do, you, uh, what do we got for homework this week? We got um, Kevin McDonald. We'll do a little dive on him. Denim vest. Okay. Uh, Harry Blackstone, the magician. H&H Bagels. Uh, who's the actor that played the manager? And that's it. All right. What do you like for cover art? Good question. I kind of like Kramer and Frank when Frank, he's got his hand like he's explaining the story and He's got his arm around Kramer. Um, it's almost like, you know, what it really reminds me of is that um, the Buzz and Woody meme when he's like, when he has his arm around Buzz and he says, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Um, so I really like that when they're in the bagel shop. Um, trying to think of what else. There might be a good shot of everybody at the Festivus table. I know we like when there's a lot of characters in. What do you think? Uh, I didn't write anything down, but I, I like I like the idea of like something in the bagel shop or yeah. or something with Festivus, maybe Maybe Frank and Kramer dragging the pole into monks. Yeah, that's good too. Yeah, I wish there, there was more with Festivus, though. I know it, it really. They just you know they just couldn't do it again. I, I, I if this had been, I wonder if it would have been as celebrated of a concept that Seinfeld introduced if they had done it in like season four or whatever you know and done a festivus episode every year they would have felt compelled to i feel like and maybe that's why they held off they're like this is our last season let's finally blow festivus because we didn't because they're not you know they're they're not the typical sitcom show where they would want to do a an actual christmas episode every year you know yeah Um, i feel like they definitely could have gotten another single episode out of the festivus concept if they would have done this episode in season eight I feel like yeah. it would have been really good. Yeah, yeah. At least as like a a, a sequel, you know, in the way that some yeah. movie sequels just kind of revisit all the same jokes. They could have found a, a, a new way to do that. Um, I do know, I'm sure we'll do a dive on the real Festivus and the lasting impact of this episode, but there's a book that the... So it came from the real life of one of the writers. I forget which one, but it is based on a real holiday that this guy's dad invented. <laughs> And there's a book, uh, like an official Festivus book out that I have somewhere. <laughs> Might have to look at my bookshelf. I'm sure it's not in a box. I, I'm, I'm sure I still have that. But yeah, it's it's a real, there's a, there's a book that explains more about the holiday. Because yeah, we really didn't get a lot. Oh, man. Um, okay, let's see what we can do about this week's description. Ah. So we had Frank brings back his holiday, Festivus, period. George invents a charity, period. Kramer's 12-year strike at a bagel shop ends, period. Elaine pursues a free sandwich, Period. Mm. Elaine pursues a free sandwich isn't bad, because at least that doesn't give away the joke. Yeah. Um, I I think we can easily get rid of Kramer in here. Yeah. Because A, it's the longest, and B, it totally gives away any story element to his his arc. Yeah. What about, I mean, well, could you say, like, as Kramer goes back to work, he's, 
As Kramer goes back to work, Frank introduces him to a new holiday, something like that. Or Frank introduces Kramer to a new holiday. Well, no, I don't like that because that makes it sound like as Kramer goes back to work, Frank introduces him to a new holiday. How about that? I like that. Did you still want to keep George and Elaine in there? I like Elaine pursues a free sandwich. We we don't talk about Jerry at all, which is interesting. Um, yeah, I think this but, is the first time he's been left out yeah. of a of a uh, description. Probably not, but definitely first time in a while. We could probably fold George into Festivus. Like, um, oh, okay. Oh, how about this? As Kramer goes back to work, Frank introduces him to a new holiday, which George must celebrate to save his job. Or, or I maybe, like that a lot. What if we take out to I, save I, his I, job if, if we like... Which George must George, celebrate. Or what, what if which is George forced is forced to celebrate. to celebrate. Yes. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. So while Kramer I mean, goes we, back to work, Frank introduces him to a new holiday, which George is forced to celebrate. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, I think it's so good. I can even lose Elaine now. I, I'd be fine I, with losing Elaine. I, I I am too. I am too. Right. Just because like it, it works so well, and I yeah. don't want to shoehorn anything else into it. Yeah, you could even Frank introduces. Well, you could even do this, and I know you know this is just my my always sunny placeholder. <laughs> but as Kramer goes back to work, Frank introduces the gang to a oh. new holiday. <laughs> <laughs> but if we really wanted to, you know, because they all do. Well, Jerry already knew about it though. All right, screw it. I just wanted to include Jerry and Elaine. <laughs> but they do end up they end up at the, the Festivus dinner celebrating Festivus. So, you know, I guess it, it does tie them in later on. So, all right. It's fine the way it is. Why, you know, I was trying to reinvent the wheel or something. <laughs> oh, man. All right. What do you think of the episode? Um, I really liked it. I mean, I think it definitely held up. And I don't know if it's like a top 10 episode of all time. But it's it's also the rare Seinfeld episode where I think I got more laughs in the second half than the first half. A lot of episodes that I star are like really front loaded. And then by the end, I'm like, uh, that, that wasn't that good. But I guess the payoffs were so good for all of the storylines that I found myself laughing more after the, um, <laughs> and, and everything is so well tied together. It's so rare that we get, I mean, even Jerry and Gwen's storyline comes into play. Yeah. And they were able to tie Elaine getting schwitzed for six hours or whatever into that storyline. And she shows up like it's so maybe I just talked myself into it's definitely deserves a star for this season. But I don't yeah. know whether I don't know if episode. I would put it number two of all time of all episodes, though, like Comedy Central did. Yeah, I think that's totally based on legacy. You know, those are legacy votes going yeah. like, well, look how long it's lasted. Like, yeah, yeah, but I mean, does it hold yeah, up? Yeah, there, there's there's people voting for uh there's people voting for the strike not even knowing the name of the episode. They're just like, "Oh yeah, that's the Festivus episode. That's the best one." Yeah, yeah. And I I'm sure that I think number 3 was the puppy shirt. The I mean, puppy so shirt. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's all of the episodes. How did I know? How did I know? (laughs) Yeah, it's all the episodes that are are just, you know, legacy episodes in the in the pantheon of of Seinfeld that people probably didn't you know, people probably didn't revisit all the episodes like we're doing now and have the context of Oh god no. Absolutely watching an episode a week for all the time (laughs) that we've been doing and so they're like, Oh yeah, uh Soup Nazi, Festivus, Puffy Shirt, uh, yeah. Uh, yada 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 uh, the low talker just, what else just all the ones they remember and yeah, that's it exactly <laughs> oh man um i i really liked it i i definitely gave it a star but i don't know where it's gonna end up in in the top of the season 
probably closer to the top of the season, but I don't know where that comes in top of all time. I, I don't even think we should dare doing a top of like the entire series once we're finished with this because it'll just take way too much time. Oh but if you gosh. want to, we can. Yeah. It would be tough. I'd be willing. I'd be willing to try, but but I don't know. Yeah, I wish I would have. I wish I would have kept track of all my top five lists because then you could probably just take the number one episode. You know, you could probably just cherry pick I mean, from that. You know, you probably you could probably just listen to our recaps. Nah, I don't. <laughs> nah, that's no good. I don't like this that's podcast. Too much time. Yeah, please. I don't, I don't like listen those guys. To this thing. I don't like those guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh man okay next week we have got season nine episode 11 the dealership original air date january 8th 1998 three weeks after this episode airs a good three week winter break mm. um the first episode to air uh of me being a five-year-old and if you're looking in tv guide the night of january 8th 1998 you are gonna see jerry negotiates buying a car from putty period George can't get a Twix out of a vending machine, period. Kramer takes a salesman on a thrilling test drive, period. Hmm. Yeah, it's um I'm I'm excited for the putty the putty storyline. Anything putty is great. But um yeah, I can already just knowing what I know about this episode, I, I know I, we can already make that description better. I'm I'm already angry <laughs> at the description, so um but we'll, we'll tackle we'll tackle it next week after Ted sees it for the first time. So all right, is that it? I think that's it. All right. For No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good. Be good.